So 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, And all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Chapelaine, how are we? Good to see you all. If we haven't met, my name's James, one of the pastors here. Uh, Great to have your... Bibles open in front of you, uh, and if you don't have a Bible with you here tonight, that's totally fine. Uh, just whack up your hand, and Tim would love to put one in your hand just so you've got a, a Bible in front of you. Uh, if you don't have a Bible of your own, uh, we'd love to give you one tonight as well. So if you uh, see me up the back afterwards, we'd love to give you a gift for tonight. looks like everyone's brought their Bibles tonight, Tim. That's spectacular. Chapelaine smashing it out of the park yet again. Woo! All right, and uh, if you missed your boarding pass uh, last week for our series in 1 Peter, there's spares on the resource rack. Um, That's a great place to be, uh, checking it out, engaging with each other, reading and putting comments and questions in 1 Peter as you read through that during the week. Let's pray and ask God to uh, bless our time in his word. Father God, we thank you for this time at the end of a busy week for us and a busy weekend to be able to come and praise you together, to enjoy you together. And so we do ask that you would help us to understand and grasp all your goodness and your blessing to us, your grace to us in Jesus. We pray this in his beautiful name. Amen. Well, uh, quite a few years ago now, when I first started uh, full-time work, one of my friends was uh, an associate, uh, a graduate in a large 
law firm in Sydney. And so she was working long hours, working hard, building her career. Um, and then she saw coming up in, in a few months later in the year was uh, one of her favourite Broadway musicals was coming to Sydney. And so she booked tickets like five, six months out to make sure she could go and see it. And then in the week of that leading up, she was working hard to get through her to-do list so she'd be free for that evening. Then came the day, she was going, the afternoon, she's sitting working at her desk and one of the partners walked in with a large stack of files and he kind of just plonked it on her desk and he said, I'm going to need those back by tomorrow morning, which would mean a late night working through that. And she said, well... Normally that'd be totally fine, but I've actually got tickets for this musical I'm going to tonight that I booked like five months ago. And he just looked at her and said, well, I guess you'll have to give the tickets to someone else then, won't you? She didn't stay long at that firm. Surprise, surprise. Have you ever had an experience like that? Trying to do something good and wonderful and yet everything around you seems to make it impossible. Perhaps for you, it's that you had to fill out a form for, for a bank application or, or something like that. And, and there's just so many things to fill out, so many forms. And then they lose your paperwork and, and then you have to redo it and then they reject your application anyway. Or maybe you've had an assignment from a teacher or a lecturer and they give you this really kind of vague question that doesn't make sense and you try and ask for clarification but they can't tell you anymore, they won't tell you anymore and so you think, well, I'll do the best I can to answer it and then they mark you down for not answering the question properly. Have you ever had an experience like that? I'm trying to do something right and good but it's impossible. The reason I raise that is I reckon this passage in 1 Peter we've just read kind of feels like that. Because God puts before us this wonderful, inspiring, weighty command and call, like be holy as I am holy. And that sounds amazing because that would be to live a wonderfully different life, free of so many of the struggles and sins that kind of weighs down and confuses and to live that different life and be a blessing to those around us. It's inspiring and yet impossible. And again, verse 17, reverent fear in our lives. And verse 22, uh, Love sincerely from the heart. It sounds inspiring and weighty and yet impossible. But look at the end of verse 2. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Our God is a God of abundant, lavish, generous grace. Amen? And so God not only calls us to live a different life, and gives us a better story for our lives. But again and again, he meets us in that story with abundant, generous grace so that we can live that life. And so there's three things I want us to grasp tonight, three really important things. First one is God transforms us by his powerful word. Have a look down at verse 22 with me. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. That's hard, right? Love deeply from the heart. Like, just give me a show of hands right now. Who of us know a, another Christian who, if we're honest, we actually don't really like them? Be honest. Yeah, that's right. Now, don't look at anyone as you do that, because that, that gives it away, right? <laughs> and, and if it helps you to put up your hand, um, you're probably on someone else's list as well, right? And I'm now on all of your lists because this is two weeks in a row I've asked you to raise your hands in church, which we just don't do, right? To love deeply from the heart is hard. And we can fake it, we can pretend, we can be nice, but, 
But God doesn't call us to fake it, to, to pretend, to just be nice. No, He calls us to love genuinely from the heart. And so He gives us grace and power to do that. Have a look at verse 23. For you've been born again. For because there's the reason that you can love deeply from the heart, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Do you see the power of God's word? All peoples. All nations or cities or cultures or philosophies or movements, they are like the grass of the field. They're here today, gone tomorrow. They come and go, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Amen. So some of you know that the early church lived under a series of very kind of anti-Christian Roman emperors, and they were not allowed to worship Jesus. They were supposed to worship Roman gods. And in the early 300s, the emperor Diocletian um, ordered that Bible be banned and destroyed, all of them to be burnt. And anyone who resisted that was put in prison or burnt alive. But today, Diocletian is long gone. And the Roman Empire has fallen into the dust. And what are we doing tonight? We're reading God's Word. See, empires come and go, emperors come and go, but the Word of the Lord stands forever. Amen. In the late 1700s, the French philosopher Voltaire said that within 100 years, the Bible will disappear and will no longer be read. But less than 60 years after his death, his home in Geneva was being used by the Bible Society to store Bibles, <laughs> to be distributed around Europe. And you love that. And today, the Bible has been translated into over 700 languages and is read by more people than any other book in human history. So philosophers come and go, philosophies come and go, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Amen. And over the centuries, countless PhDs and books and papers have been written claiming that the Bible is a poorly written, outdated, primitive set of fairy tales and myths. But today... No serious historian disputes that the Bible is historically reliable. So if PhDs and books and papers come and go, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Amen. And then look at the end of verse 25. And this is the word that was preached to you. The word that stands forever is the word that's preached to you, that you hold in your hands tonight is the word that stands forever. And so when someone first shared the good news of Jesus with you, when we open our Bibles on Sunday or in community groups and DCs, we're not sharing my ideas or the latest philosophy or trend, but we are sharing the word that stands forever. And it doesn't stand like a statue or a mountain range kind of imposing and lifeless. But verse 23, it is the living and enduring word of God. It gives us new birth. And so that means if you're a Christian here tonight, your story isn't that one day you decided to turn over a new leaf and to try harder or to get rid of that sin that you had been struggling with or that you learned for a way to deal with your guilt and insecurity or you became more regular at church. No, your story is that you were born again. You're given new life, a new beginning, a new heart, a fresh start with God by His living and enduring Word. God transforms us by His powerful Word. 
And so I shared, uh, I think last week in, in our Q&C, one of my favourite little parts of the New Testament is in Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians to the church in Thessalonica in Greece. And he'd planted the church and then he'd been separated from for them a while. And he was worried that they may have drifted. He was anxious. And then he writes this in chapter 3. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? You see that? In the midst of great difficulty and trials and hardships, he says, we're living the best life. We're having a great time. And we can't thank God enough for the joy that we have because of you. What's going on there for Paul? The living and enduring word of God has transformed his heart so that he loves deeply from the heart. See that God not only gives us a better story for our lives, he meets us with grace again and again to live that story. Second thing we need to see is that Jesus is the hero of our story. That's so beautifully clear in verses 19 to 21. As we scan down there, we see that we have been redeemed, set free and forgiven. And that was by the precious blood of Jesus. who was like a sacrificial lamb for us without spot and blemish. And then he was raised from the dead so that our faith and hope are in God. And we have this relationship with God where he is our father in verse 17. And this wasn't something that God made up on the run. No, look at verse 20. He was chosen, that's Jesus, before the creation of the world. He was chosen. God planned it. It was decided before the creation of the world. And it means that Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection weren't a surprise. No, they were planned. He's the focus of all God's plans for the world and us. Listen to how Jesus puts it in Luke 24. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. You see that? The whole Bible, all of history, all of life is about Jesus and points to Jesus and finds its center in Jesus and its fulfillment and purpose in Jesus. And then look again at verse 20. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for a laugh, for completion, to make a point. No, look at it. End of verse 20. For what? Call it out when you see it. Your sake. Yeah. God did it for our sake, his people's sake. He wants us to know his plans. He wants to share that Jesus is the completion and the fulfillment of all things. So the story of the Bible, the story over your life, isn't this. It isn't Here's some things you should do, that you ought to do, that you try to do but fail to do. No, the story of the Bible, the story of life is, here's what Jesus has already done for you. Jesus is the hero of our story. So when you get that, when that kind of grabs hold of you and lives in you, when you really get that, I think that's where that reverent fear comes in verse 17. 
not a terror, not running from God in panic, but when you grasp that the one who died for you and redeemed you is also the one who is the climax and the fulfillment of all history, then faith and church can no longer be a hobby. Just take it or leave it, come or go. But you have this trembling joy, this gravity with gladness, this humble confidence that, that all this, to know Jesus and to serve him and worship him together like we've done tonight is so special, so beautiful. Amen? See, God not only gives us a better story for our lives, in that story he meets us again and again with grace to live that story. And then the third thing we need to see is hope in future grace. Have a look at the second half of verse 13 with me. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Isn't that amazing? Because God doesn't say, look, Jesus died for you and rose for you and so I got you new birth and you've been born again, so kind of like, what else do you want me to do? I'm done. No, he's got grace for us. He is generous and abundant with his grace. There is more grace to come when Jesus returns. That's that living hope, that inheritance that we spoke about last week earlier in chapter 1. And to help us kind of get that, I'm going to read to you an example of what that will be like. Um, and I want you to focus your mind as I do that and open your heart to receive this promise of future grace from God. You might find it helpful to close your eyes to help you focus. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne say, Look, God's dwelling is place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Wow. That's future grace. The no longer any sea is like a metaphor, a picture language in the ancient world of there no longer being chaos. In the new heaven and new earth, there'll be order and safety. God will dwell with us and he'll wipe every tear from our eyes and there'll be no more death or sickness. There'll be no more reason to weep and cry and mourn anymore. So Chapel Lane, there is a promise of future grace for you. So set your hope on that future grace. But that's hard to do, isn't it? Like we can see it on the page in front of us and it sounds right, it sounds great, but it's, if we're honest, it's hard. Because some of us are so busy in our lives and means we're so distracted that, that right now is the only time we do any kind of God stuff. Or some of us say, look, I'm, I'm not really a hope type person. <laughs> I don't really feel it. I'm not wired that way. But look at verse 13, the first half now. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope. In the original language, uh, it's translated as gird up the loins of your mind. And we say the what, what? 
You can see why they translated it again, because it didn't make sense. What, what they were originally talking about was in the ancient world, um, people wore long flowing robes. And so if they needed to run be active, they would have to grab the, the skirts of those robes and pull them up and tuck them into their belt so it came like a shorts. So then their legs were free and safe and ready to move. And so what the original it's saying is get your mind ready and free for action. Or in our translation, with minds that are alert and fully sober, that's don't let your mind be foggy and distracted and passive but get your mind sharp and deliberate and focused because then that's how you move your heart, your emotions to hope in future grace. I think in our day, we've got this completely wrong. We have a very passive attitude towards our emotions. We think they just kind of happen to us. We're victims of our emotions. We have no control over them. I just feel what I feel. You know, I can't help that. And so I remember hearing a pastor talk about how people would come to see him and they'd say, like, I'm really struggling in my faith. I'm struggling with joy and I don't have much hope. And, and, and he'd say to them, okay, so what have you tried? And they'd look at him blankly. And he'd say, well, what strategies, what techniques have you tried to, to try and fix that, to help that? And they'd say, oh, right. Um, I prayed a bit and I told a friend about it. So he then would give them an assignment <laughs> to go away and memorize the first half of chapter 8 of Romans and then come back and we'll chat. Now, he wasn't being dismissive and, and cold towards them, but what he's reflecting there is this understanding that God hasn't wired us up to be passive victims of our emotions. But we can, verse 13, have minds that are alert and sharp and focused to teach and to train and to lead our emotions to hope in the grace that's to come to us. Do you remember 2020, 2021, two lockdowns? We had to do a whole bunch of stuff to live stream during that time, which was a blessing to help us keep meeting. Do you remember this? Remember tuning in and everyone waving on the screens, people at home doing church? It was a blessing to be able to do that. But what it meant was a whole bunch of these, if you like, spiritual muscles that got a bit kind of flabby and week. And things like we, we couldn't really sing properly together for like two years. It was awful. <laughs> and, and we got used to sitting at home and kind of consuming and watching church content on a screen. And, and Bible passages were printed on the screen for us. And so now that we're kind of fully back, we're, we're having to warm up those spiritual muscles again. So Jace's team is trying to help us sing together again and to pray together again. You've noticed that we're encouraging to bring your Bibles on a Sunday. And after this Sunday, we're no longer going to put the main Bible reading passage on the screen because we want to warm up that spiritual muscle that comes with having God's Word open in front of you. And I love how some of you are so far ahead of us on this because some of you have those Bibles with the really thick margin so you can scribble down notes as you're reading and talking. Some of you bring a notebook and you write and you draw pictures and whatever helps you kind of think. And if you haven't gone on our um, boarding pass and followed the QR code to the website, I encourage you to do it. I went there on Wednesday and there are a bunch of people across our church sharing the things that they were discovering in God's Word, the things they were praying about, the questions they had. It was amazing. It was so encouraging. I encourage you to go and check it out. Maybe post something yourself as well. 
I love how so many of you are trying to do verse 13. Sharpening your minds to guide your emotions to hope in future grace. Because I remember reading the journal of a, a pastor from the United States, and he, he wrote about how in the 1990s he'd gone on a trip to China to visit the churches over there. He said it was so encouraging. So you go with the, the team, the locals, into a village, and there's an evangelist who preaches about Jesus, and the whole village becomes Christians. Amazing. Whole valley village is discovering joy in Jesus together. And yet they're so hungry for Bibles. So hard to get Bibles in China. And so what a number of them would do is that they would, after a long day of working in the fields, they would come in and by candlelight late at night, they would copy out Bible passages and sermons so they could send it on to the next village, so that the next village could have something of the word of God. They're so hungry for the word of God. This pastor wrote how encouraging all that was. What a joy. And then he wrote that when it was time to return to the United States, he, he wept. He wept because he had to go back to a country where there are so many Bibles. People have multiple Bibles in their homes, and yet so many of them are unopened and unread and ignored. And a country where there's so many opportunities to do verse 13, and yet people are too busy, too distracted. That's America in the 1990s. I don't know, I might be wrong, but I don't think it's that different from Sydney in 2022. So let's own this together, Chapelaine. Let's lean into this together. God has given us a wonderful new story for our lives. And in that story, he meets us with grace again and again. Just think about it. Jesus, our hero, has rescued us. And God's powerful word is transforming us. And so we can lean into that by actively sharpening our minds to lead our hope towards future grace. And then we'll live lives that are different and blessed and a blessing to those around us. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we want to Pause now and praise you and, and thank you for all the grace you've poured out on us in your son Jesus and how we read in your word of that amazing verse that's impacted so many of us today of a future grace, a grace to be given to us when Jesus returns. And so we want to set our hopes there, lean into that and cling to that and long for that, desire that. And if we're honest, we struggle with that because we're distracted or just yeah, complacent sometimes. So we ask that you would meet each of us with grace tonight and transform our hearts and minds to lean into that future grace that's coming when Jesus returns. And we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. We pray in his beautiful name. Amen.